We are supported by Robbins Insurance, an independent insurance agency known for providing customized insurance policies, sound guidance, and attentive service. Robbins is also known for delivering exceptional coverage to Nashville's restaurants and bars. Whether it's a fryer fire that sets off the sprinkler system and leaves your restaurant sopping wet on a busy Saturday night, or it's a once-in-a-decade tornado that cuts off your electricity and subsequently spoils all the food in your walk-in, Robbins has seen it all. And they know how to create policies that'll get your business back on its feet as quickly as possible in the event a disaster strikes. Look, when it comes to insuring your restaurant, bar, brewery, bakery, grocery store, hotel, or whatever, you need someone who knows the industry, who understands your business, and who will create a policy that protects your space, your staff, and your concept. That's Robbins. Visit Robbins' website at robbinsins.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S. INS.com to request your insurance consultation. Once again, that's robbinsins.com. You know, when it comes to dish machine and chemicals, I know that's kind of back of your mind, but it is a major part of your PL. And you need to find a company that cares about really identifying what you need and when you need it. And that is where SuperSource comes to play. You want to talk about a guy who is investing in his community. I'll tell you what, I just left Soup Sunday a little while ago, and Soup Sunday is an amazing event for our kids. I didn't see anybody from any of the major major companies out there, none of the auto clerk guys. I didn't see anybody from Ecolab, but I did see Jason Ellis. I did see Jason Ellis and his wife and his two lovely daughters supporting the kids and out eating soup from all these amazing restaurants. So if you guys need to support him and he needs to to come in and do an audit of exactly what you're doing, the first way to do that is you got to call him. 770-337-1143 is what you need to do right now. This guy will come in and identify exactly what you're using, why you're using it, and help you even negotiate with your other company how to reduce your costs. Or if he can find a solution for you, I'm telling you, everybody that comes in the studio sees his sign behind me. It's like, oh, I love that guy. He's like a part of my business. And he is. That's what he wants to do. He wants to partner with you to ensure you have the best possible service and the best quality products you can purchase. That is SuperSource. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and we are powered by Gordon Food Service. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. Today's episode is a special episode uh, titled Brandon's Book Club. We're talking about Will Godera's book, Unreasonable Hospitality. I know this is a book that everybody is big on right now. And we've got Stephen Smithing, the owner of both Maribel and Green Hills Grill restaurants. We have Justin Maestis from Shared Spirits, as well as my mom is joining us for the first time on the podcast. Yes, my mom. I am so excited to have my mom on the show. She is um, she's one of the most amazing people in the entire world. And I will tell you, she was a flight attendant for 25 years. And so hospitality is something that she understands. She gets people feeling special. And some of the stories that she tells today in this episode are just so much fun. And I couldn't be more thankful to have my mom join the show. Next month, we are going to be talking about Rory Sutherland's book, Alchemy. 
So this is a book about marketing, the dark art of marketing. And this book is, it just opened my eyes so much. Everybody that uh, I've talked about reading this book, it has completely opened their eyes. And I'm so excited to jump back into it with all of you out there. So I would love for you to join Brandon's book club. Here's how you do it. There's no obligation. You don't have to join the podcast. But my goal here is to have people out there reading books that are going to propel them further in this industry. So go to Facebook. There is a group called Brandon's Book Club. Request to join it. And I'd be happy to accept you into the group. And from there, I'll post the link to how you can join the show. You can message people. We can talk about the book, whatever you want to do. This is just something that I do that is a, a fun thing that I like to read books. I listen to books mostly in my car, everywhere that I go. And so I, I like to read. I read a couple books a month, and um, I would love for you guys to join with me. This one is called Alchemy, again, by a guy named Rory Sutherland. Um, and he, what he talks about is just why we do the things we do. Why do people respond to different marketing? He talks about one of the questions he says is, he goes, we had a focus group. And we asked everybody, why do you brush your teeth? And like 95% of people answered because of health. That's why you brush your teeth, because it's healthy and you need to do it. But the real reason why people brush their teeth is they want their teeth to look good. Honestly, that's the thing, that people want their teeth to look good. And why did uh, you know Aquafresh, which was the first toothpaste to come out with like the striped toothpaste, why were they so successful? Because people see that and they think, oh, wow, there's ingredients that are working. It's, it's just, they just didn't mix the ingredients. It's a crazy thing. But that type of marketing works. Why did, there's no company that was able to rival Coca-Cola. Pepsi tried, all these other companies tried to rival Coca-Cola, but one company did rival Coca-Cola. And they took a a drink that in, in all the different uh, focus groups they did failed. They said it tasted terrible. They did not like it. Uh, they put it in a smaller can and they charge like three times as much. And that drink is called Red Bull. Why did Red Bull win? Why did Red Bull, why was that the one that made it? He goes through all of that stuff in this book and it's really interesting. It changes your mind. My favorite quote from the book is, if you do the logical thing, you'll end up exactly the same place as your competition. So if that's an intro to what this book is, I, I hope that you uh, want to join us. And I hope that you in, did read Will Gadara's Unreasonable Hospitality because that's what we're talking about today. And I want to jump into that episode here in just a second. I do want to give a couple of shout outs because we had such an amazing Valentine's week. I hope that you guys all made a ton of money and that all of your guests were amazing. Uh, we had a really, really big Valentine's Day out at Maribol. It was a lot of fun. And we had a dinner on Thursday night with Gracie Nguyen from um, Eastside Bonmi. Her and Chad and Chris over there, they made an amazing meal that we got to eat at Star Rover Sound. And while we were waiting to go into Star Rover Sound, we went into the Optimist. My wife was like, ah, we got to eat here. So we went back and had dinner at the Optimist. And oh my gosh, both dinners, the Gracie Nguyen dinner was fantastic. Our dinner at the Optimist was unbelievable. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Blake, our waitress. She was so, so knowledgeable, so patient, just amazing. Um, got to see a good friend of mine, Garth Nash, for a really long time ago. I'd love to get him on the show. Uh, Garth was my manager back at the Boundary when I worked at the Boundary in 1998. So big blast from the past. Good to see him. And then we had dinner at the Continental 
on Wednesday night. So big week of eating out. And if you hang tight, next week we will have a new roundup and I will talk about all of these dinners in detail. But wanted to give a shout out. The Optimist was absolutely amazing. The Continental was top-notch, fantastic, as well as our uh, chef's takeover of Star Rover, which is a Ford Fry restaurant as well. And uh, we may be having him on the show here pretty soon. So this will be... Lots of good shows coming up, and um, we hope that you just stay with us. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy this episode of Brandon's Book Club. All right, there is everybody. How are we doing today, guys? Doing great. Amazing. Welcome to Brandon's Book Club. I still say that, and I feel like an idiot that that's the title of this thing, but I couldn't think of anything better. So, so good. Brandon's Book Club. Welcome to the second edition of Brandon's Book Club. We have an esteemed panel today. We're going to be talking about Will Godera's book, Unreasonable Hospitality. Uh, if you are watching out there and you would like to join the conversation, we would love to have you. Here is how you do it. You can go to the comments section. If you're watching on Facebook, if you're watching on YouTube, go to the comments section and you can make your comments there. Or there's going to be a link that is in the comment section, and you are welcome to click on that link. And if you're in front of a camera, join the actual panel. We will put you on screen and you can join the show. But now let's get started. Uh, I, w I do want to say that this episode is brought to you by Robbins Insurance. Uh, Robbins Insurance is your go-to. If you own a restaurant, if you own a small business, they are a small business insurance company. Personal insurance, they, they do all kinds of insurance, but uh, Matthew Clements, is your guy. And I don't have his number handy, but I will get that for you. Go to robbinsins.com and you can uh, check out Robbins Insurance. We love them for sponsoring this episode. To my left, looking that way, there there he is, over there, that guy. Uh, this is Stephen Smithing. He is the owner of the Green Hills Grill and Maribel. Joining us for the second installment. What's going on, Stephen? I'm doing great. Good morning. Across that, that that was a lot. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Keep working on it. Uh, across from Stephen is a very lovely woman who her name is Linda. Still, I affectionately call her mom because this is my mother, uh, and she is. I'm so excited for my mom to join us in studio. Mom, say hi. Hi everyone. Good to be here. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's good to have you here. Thank you for being here. And then next to my mom is Justin Maestas. Excellent. Well done. Justin, welcome <laughs> back to Nashville Restaurant Radio. Good to be back. So this book was, um, I, I'll tell you the genesis of how I found this book was I was on LinkedIn and we have um, an amazing woman who does our marketing. Her name is Christine Miles. And she had commented on somebody, somebody had posted about this book and, and Christine said, can't wait to see it. And it popped up my LinkedIn that said, Christine commented on a photo. So I saw it and I was like, unreasonable. I'm going to check that out. And I started reading this book and I just, it was almost like somebody had tapped into my brain and was like, I've put into words the exact, all of the things that go through your mind. And one of the lines he says in the book is, as I don't have it on the right page now that I've moved it. Uh, he says it's impossible. You know, most managers want you to read their mind. It's a, it's a goal. It's a uh, most managers want you to read your mind, but you can't. You can't read mind. You have to communicate effectively. 
and this book, I think, communicated so many of my thoughts effectively. And then I called Stephen and I go, dude, you got to read this book. And then he read it and he's like, this is the greatest read ever. This is exactly what we do, right? What was your... Well, it was almost like a religious experience reading this. This is what we think about it, and this is why we do what we do. Yeah, every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a spirituality in service that you get as a group, and that this kind of defines it a little bit and talks a lot about it. It really does. Uh, and it looks like we have another person joining us here just shortly. John looks like he's going to come on. Um, and once he gets his camera ready, we'll we'll, we'll bring him on. Mom, you hadn't read this book. Let's just go around the table kind of and talk about what your thoughts are. Did you have any preconceived notions going into this book, Mom? No, but I love hospitality. I live hospitality. I am too hospitable. <laughs> it's like I'm in and- therapy for my hospitality. <laughs> so anyway, I enjoyed it very much. So let's give a little bit of your backstory. Um, we know, Justin, you've worked in the hospitality industry a long time. Steven's worked. We all, we all know kind of our pasts. Mom, tell us about yourself and kind of just a little bit about your work history. All right. Well, I just retired last September the 1st from the airline industry. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. I was an international flight attendant, and I started with Continental Airlines. I was based in Newark my entire career. So I live in Nashville, but I had an apartment in a city called Bayonne, New Jersey. And um, in the book here, he says, uh, let's make a restaurant that we want to eat at. So and how would you want your family, yourself, or your mother to be treated at your restaurant? And every day I went to work and I love flying so much that I knew uh, 25 years ago that I would either have to pay the airlines to travel or they could pay me. So anyway, uh, (laughs) I I ended up getting paid for what I love to do. But every flight was like, how can I make this flight the best flight that you have ever had? And and you did that. I mean, you, you, one of my favorite things is sitting around the dinner table listening to her stories about flights that she took. And you got to imagine people that come to restaurants, everybody that comes into a restaurant knows essentially what they're getting into. We're going to a restaurant. There's an anxiety around picking out a wine. There's an anxiety around maybe an ingredient they don't understand that we can educate people and move them through. But you realize she's the general public getting on an airplane. And I don't know what percentage of those people are scared to death. Right. Or they want to they want to sit with different people. Don't like the person they're sitting with. Want a different meal. Want every single person wants their. I mean, they have first class, and then they have. I mean, there's all these different categories you can do. But if you were on that airplane and my mom was your flight attendant, you were in first class. Yes. Every single flight. And is that a, a good way to say exactly what you wanted to do on every flight? Yes. I. It didn't matter if you owned the company or. Um, by the way, at the end, Continental merged with United, so I retired from United Airlines. But um, I ended up, I used to work, <clears throat> excuse me, I used to work first class, and it got so mm, snooty that finally you could not do enough for the people in first class. And I got comments like, now, remember, these were overseas flights, so I had a long time to be with these people, but we would serve them, 
you know, Sundays at the end and people would say, um, well, is your hot fudge from Switzerland or Belgium? And it's like, really? (laughs) 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 You know, things like that. And there was many things like that. Belgium. It's from Belgium. So I decided since I can't give you enough service, I spent most of my career, I would do the galley in the back and the galley person really sets the whole tone for the flight because of how good of a galley person you are. You send all the people in the aisle. Well, when they were done or when they were in the aisle, I would get to know the people from the back of the plane forward. And this started after 9-11 because I was scared to keep working after 9-11. But I thought if I know the people, so like in the back row, if it was Brandon, uh, Stephen, and Justin, I would say- <laughs> I, would, I would say, now, what are your names? So that if I needed help, I could say, Brandon, help me. Stephen, get Justin to You didn't go tell, tell them me. that. You just wanted no, to learn No, I better. did not <laughs> tell the passengers that. But when I'm I, scared to death right now. Can you <laughs> tell me your name? <laughs> well, that's why I started. And then the people in the back row, when the other people would hear me, they go, well, I'm Susie. I'm Jane. And so it's like, then I started going to the row in front of that then the row in front of that, then the row in front of that. And eventually I got to where on a 757 aircraft where we have 159 people in the back, I could get all the way up to the emergency exit row. Then and know I, everybody's name. And know everybody's name on a first name basis. And they knew each other and they loved it. And they felt comfortable and that's, all, that's unreasonable, Mom. <laughs> well, then that's I met a girl. Her name was Carolyn, and she loved what I was doing, so we would work the same flights, and she would take the front of coach. I would do the back of coach. A couple times, we got every single person's name on those flights, by, and then we would say goodbye to them by name as they left. That's pretty amazing. Could Isn't you, that the fun part? That's could the, you imagine... Stephen, if we were on that flight, if we, if you and I were flying and we were on that flight and the flight attendant learned our names and we saw her learn every person's name, would you be like, have you worked in a restaurant I'd before? Be Do you want to, you want to stay, you want to move to Nashville? I mean, wow, mom, that that's, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many stories like that, that I want to get into here in a little bit as we kind of get into the book. Um, Justin, let's talk about what you do. Let's, let's give a, a, not a plug, but like just. Tell us about your company, what you're doing now, and let's let our listeners know. And if you're John out there, John is, um, click the link, get a join. You've got to join your camera and your mic, and then I will bring you into the studio. You've got to hit enter the studio, and you got you to gotta link your camera and mic, and then I can let you in, okay? If you're out there right now, the comment section, uh, there is a link. You click that link, and you can join the show. Justin? Right on. I'll start at the beginning. Um, you know, it started in hospitality, um, doing everything in restaurants from washing dishes to creating a beverage program and everything in between. Um, got into distribution, <clears throat> loved it due to spirits. And now I have a company that specializes in what I call liquid to lips marketing, actually helping brands engage customers in getting their brand their liquid into the mouth and getting reactions. Um, And this book kind of took me way back to the beginning. Um, You know, it was a general manager by the name of Nathan Lindley, who is in Watermark, right? Watermark. Okay, I remember Redhead. Redhead. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. 
So he he ushered in uh, me into his management team and was like, hey, I need you to read Set the Table. And Will mentions this book early Danny in. Danny Myers. Danny Myers' book. He mentions this book and working with Danny Myers a couple of times within. And the passion just, I mean, it was almost like, like Stephen mentioned before. It was like religious reading this book and listening to it. Um, interestingly enough, the concepts in this book go through my entire career. I think everybody in my previous employment should read it um, in distribution and how they should bring their employees into every decision because one of the things that I thought was amazing in this is the frontline people have all the information and the backline people, the executives, don't. And that was a really interesting concept for me. I loved this book. It was awesome. It was. There's. I have this book right here. It's called the um, Unreasonable Hospitality Workbook. This oh. is like a, a, a companion book <laughs> that you can bring to your team. At the beginning of the book, for everybody who's listening to this who hasn't read the book, who's like, I don't know anything about it. I'm going to read this. This is like a page and a half, two pages, and it's a synopsis of the book. Oh, then I think we can jump in. Steven's got a bunch of notes, and we'll get into some of the meat and potatoes. But if you're if you haven't read the book, I'm going to read you a synopsis of it in my best reader voice. I like it. Are you ready? ready? Absolutely. Godera, Will Godera, is co-owner of the renowned Eleven Madison Park Restaurant in New York. He makes his nonfiction debut with a spirited manual for leaders drawing on 25 years of restaurant experience, including corporate and managerial responsibilities. The author contends that hospitality is vital to the success of every firm. Hospitality in a restaurant means genuinely interacting with the individual you're serving so you can develop an authentic connection, which is the result of caring culture that pervades the entire establishment. Restaurant management must ask the question, how can you make your personnel and the people you feel serve appreciated and valued? How do you instill in them a sense of belonging? How do you make them feel a part of something bigger than themselves? How will you put them at ease? Godera's book arrives in an ideal time. The pandemic's after effects, along with the economic insecurity, appears to have worsened the ter- deterioration in consumer behavior at a time when service-based businesses in particular are dealing with a comeback in demand of labor shortage. It's a dreadful cycle, but it can be broken. Godera weaves thoughts and insights into the compelling account of his personal, not only genius, but also generational shift in what it means to be cared for on a night out. The same person who had phoned them two days prior to confirm their reservation was there to meet them at the door to recognize them on site, which was a magical trick for dinner. It was the best kind of witchcraft, which the server would drop off a gratis bottle of cognac with the check, transforming the most stressful part of the evening into the most delightful. In attempting to define unreasonable hospitality, he stated that anyone has changed the game, anything reasonably imaginative has been unreasonable and uncompromising in their pursuit of the commodity they developed. Unreasonable hospitality is the same philosophy applied to how the person feels being served as well as other people, the other stakeholder touched along the way. Many people have never considered the element that their business or the tremendous influence it can have, not only in terms of promoting the business in a positive way, but also in terms of improving the experience of whatever you do. Which those two goals collided, Gadera recognized the importance of trust in forming an effective team. A leader's responsibility, he continues, is to identify the qualities of the individuals on their team, no matter how buried those strengths may be, as well as give praise, determine how and when to communicate criticism, and encourage participation from all team members. Finally, a leader must understand when to assume command. Trying to be all things to all people reveals that you lack a point of view and that you want to have an effect. 
you must have a point of view. The majority of Gadara's anecdotes revolve around his time as manager at 11 Madison Park, which was named the world's best restaurant in 2017. He attributes his success to his daring uh, to his daring to practice unreasonable hospitality, going above and beyond impeccable service and great meals to lavish personal attention on each visitor. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's a there's a short synopsis if you don't know about the book. Let's start with Stephen. Stephen, you've got uh, some notes. What are your thoughts on it? What are some of your takeaways? Let's just jump in. Well, I think the difference between you know really great restaurants some some restaurants just serve food and some are there to be great restaurants. I, I think the primary difference is that you have to allow the crew member to care and to want to serve. I mean, you can. I, I've worked in restaurants my whole life, and at times when you systematize everything all the way down which is very important, you, you miss out on some of the awe and wonder and magic that it, Will talks about in this book. It, and you have to leave that 5% open to be able to do that. I, I've been blessed to you know, work for wonderful people in my businesses for a long time and to learn from some of the best people in the industry, Mike Huffler and <coughs> uh, <coughs> Phil Hickey and Jerry Hornbeck. Some of the things that they allowed us to do, we had a very tight system, but you could jump out of the system anytime to wow somebody. And then you just had to jump back in. Yeah, and you couldn't jump out for your own benefit. You can only jump out for for the benefit of the guest. And there's a difference when people do things so that they can make a higher gratuity or more money for the restaurant. It's just not as genuine nor nearly as memorable, typically, as it is if you jump out just to wow somebody. When you walk by a table and you hear somebody say they want something and you just bring it, that that's the joy of service. That if you don't have it, you this is probably the wrong industry for you. I mean, that tickles me to be able to do that. People are like, well, we didn't even ask for that. How did he know? You're famous for uh, you'll walk by a table and you hear somebody order a decaf coffee and you'll just go make a pot. No matter where you, you'll hear Stephen, somebody will say, well, we can make you a pot. So I've already got it. I've already made it for you. Like, what? That's awesome. He heard somebody say it and he just goes and starts making a pot of decaf because there's never a fresh pot of decaf brewed. Ever. But he always will go and just brew decaf coffee. And they're like, no, I've already got it going for you. Like, what? It's just there, there's an insight to that. Well, there are simple things that you know we miss, and having decaf on hand all the time early in the shift, especially and late in the shift, is not where it always is. It always amazes me with service. I'm like, just brew the decaf. I'll, I mean, I'll burn the pot. I'll pay for it. Don't worry about it. All day long, just keep it going. Uh, yep. and, it, and it works. You know, one of the things he says in here that really you know got <clears throat> tickles me is all it takes for something extraordinary to happen is one person's enthusiasm. And it's kind of what we've been able to do in our businesses is you take really caring and make it cool. I love you that can term. Surround yourself with a couple of people who actually care and think it's cool to care. It's amazing how it just moves throughout your business and your industry. And sadly, I think there are businesses out there where that's not allowed. And they say, oh, you have to care, but they don't want you to do the things that would show that you care because, oh, that then they'll think they could get that every time. Well, as I tell people, we have a cooler full of food and talented people. Tell me what you want, and I'll see if I can make it. We'll figure it out. Absolutely. Right. I, you know what? People on the plane, one of the little things I did, we uh, have to pick up trash once every half hour. Okay. Well, the people on the plane only have this little amount of space. And so when they have you know, their little space and they're not done with their drink, when you go by and pick it up, you know, I would note that, and I would go back just so they could have their little, you know, 10 by 10 inches there. Well, the other flight attendants would say, Linda, what are you doing? It's not time to pick up trash yet. 
And I said, yeah, but I don't want them sitting there with that. And they're like, yes, but then they're going to expect that every flight. And I never said this, but with me, they'll get it every flight. And another thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking to Stephen and I's heart right now. Well, and then, and. It's okay. true. I mean, yeah, no, I mean. I have so many stories. That, well, I mean, no, that, that's. I, I, I love, I like the, the term when he said, whatever you do for a living, you can choose to be in the hospitality business. And I liked it when he thought if everybody out there just started choosing hospitality and choosing to be specific in how they take care of people, we can change the world. And I'm so frustrated because I don't expect service anymore. Like I don't expect it to be great when I go places because I'm constantly disappointed from what my expectation is and what I think we pull off on a regular basis. I just don't expect it. So when I get it, I'm so excited and I'm so surprised and it makes me so joyful. And I hate that that's where it's come. But I mean, anybody in any business, no matter what you do, if you're a dentist, if you're a trash man, I mean, there's so many things that you can do to just go above and beyond and people just to give a little more than what is expected that you can choose to be in the hospitality business. Don't not because you're getting a tip or whatever. And I love to tip people when they do stuff like that. That's I hate to tip at Subway, but I love to tip people when they go above and beyond when they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? In random situations that aren't tip jobs, I always keep a five dollar bill in my pocket at all times, yep. just in case somebody does something cool. I'm like, hey man, thanks, I appreciate that. Well, it kind of comes down to when he says it feels great to make other people feel great. If somebody's going to take their daily routine and make a part of it make you feel great or engage you, or we talk a lot about resting face. You're going to frown at me when I come up to the counter instead of smile at me. That makes a difference. It does. And you have to understand that that's part of your service or part of what your expectation is for that person standing there. You have to smile and engage and smile and engage. And and just that little bit of of engagement will make that person want to stop at that convenience store again because that person smiled at it. Yeah, there's hundreds of jobs, industries that deal with hospitality, but it's not in their culture. And that blows my mind. You know, um, you know, Ace Hardware in Belmead, those guys are some of the nicest mm-hmm. guys. Right here in Hillsborough Hardware too, the same thing. I mean, amazing. And they're they don't care if you're getting one screw or a four hundred dollar machine. They're gonna treat you the same way. They're always hospitable and it's an amazing experience. Ace hardware. Come on. I mean, well, and what he says is people will remember how you made them feel. And that really is the case. I mean, when they flip that board over, you know, like they want to tip everywhere you go, you're like, well, how did you make me feel? You make me feel like, why would I give you the money if all you're doing is flipping that screen saying, give me money? Yeah. It's not just giving me a cup of coffee or, you know, putting a Danish in front of me is not, you know, not enough at a counter. I mean, I, I think, and I understand it's basically a labor subsidy nowadays, but there should also be some little bit of something that goes along with it. Absolutely. It's funny you say that because, you know, with the culture right now, coffee shops and things like that, everybody expects a tip no matter what. And I don't tip if they don't engage me. If they don't ask me, how's your day going? Did you have a good, <coughs> what's your favorite donut? You know, something. Well, this, is, this is a different conversation when it comes to gratuities. But I think I think there there is an assimilation here between that because... I've used the example of Honey Fire before, and I, I love Honey Fire, and I, I 
just did a, I'm on a podcast today on the Nashville Daily Podcast. I started, and they said, what's one of your favorite barbecues? And I said, I love the Diablo Jones sandwich at Honeyfire. It's a great place. But you go there and it's not cheap. I mean, you pay for what you get. But like for me, a family of four, it's like 50, 60 bucks for a dinner. I don't, that's with like waters, you know. And she, you, you ring up 60 bucks. They flip the screen around. And she's like, do you want to leave a gratuity? And you're like, do you? Do anything, and she's like, well, "We're going. I'm going to hand you four empty glasses. Go get your silverware. Go get your drinks. Go sit down. We'll bring your food. Then clean up after yourself." And you're like, "Well, I have a sixty dollar check that I'm now. the The option is eighteen, twenty two, and twenty five percent or custom." And I'm like, "So I'm going to give you twelve dollars right now to bring me the food I just paid sixty dollars for. When you can go to the Greenhouse Grill and have dinner for sixty bucks." and sit down. Somebody's going to come over and curate. They're going to explain the menu to you. They're going to bring you appetizers. They're going to bring you drinks. They're going to keep your drinks full. You don't have to get up and do it. They're going to bring you your food. They're going to course it. They're going to make sure that everything's perfect. They're going to bring you dessert. They're going to clean up after you. And you're leaving the same amount of gratuity for that level of service doesn't doesn't equate to me. Yeah, like, I do, I don't, well, they're I do not making so. you feel good. I mean, you, you look at that and you're like, I don't feel so good about you know, this tip. As long as they engage me and make me feel happy, like a good question, man, I'm giving him something. And you can't do what Will talks about in this book at every level of service, nor no. should you have to. And I think we're at a crossroads in service where you're either going to intentionally get good service or you're not really going to get any service. You're just going to get somebody giving you something like the checker at Walmart, like we should tip them. But we kind of move beyond that, I think, with talking about what some of Will's genius here is and what he's really mm -hmm. talking about. Yes. It costs $600 a person generally to eat at this restaurant. My brother Peter, who's a chef, uh, it was a chef in New York City uh, for 10 years and graduated from Culinary Institute of America, ate there three different times. And it's it's a place where people who care about this type of atmosphere or this type of service actually go. As he said, he goes, some people go here and go to the Knicks game and sit down by the court. He goes, I can't do both, so I'd rather <laughs> just go to 11 Madison Park and have this amazing service experience, but it costs not a dissimilar amount of money. There, there's something along with it. And as we go, and he's at the very pinnacle, obviously you're the number one restaurant in the world, you can probably charge more than anybody else. When you come all the way down to the other side, it doesn't mean we still can't do these things every day in our businesses all the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> well, and like he said, you can't do this level of service to every person every day. But on the other hand, not everyone needs that level of service. So like... In in my case, getting to know everyone, as I asked them their name, I would usually say, oh, and, you know, why are you going to Ireland or is this your first time or wherever we were going? And they would either say yes, no, or, oh, it's our anniversary or, oh, I'm going for a funeral or, you know, whatever the occasion is. Those people, that's who needs my attention mm -hmm. and love and that's where you can spend your energy I heard the best saying yesterday, and it was, um, spend your energy on things that bring you delight and spend it like you're a millionaire. So anyway, um, it, if, if I did come across somebody, and it was very rare, not even once a flight, where people would say, I, I, I don't care for you to know my name. And anyway, on, on my... Um, napkin because I'd always write down what their name was in case I didn't remember it. I usually did, but in case I didn't, I'd put Ringo. That was my name for they didn't want to be <laughs> bothered. And but everybody else around them, you know, knew who they were. And I could 
hone in on those people who did need it. So it's not like every person even wants it or expects it, but for those people who need it, you got it. Well, you know, in the restaurant business, you have to have a thick skin because you know, as you know, providing service to people, X amount of them don't even want to talk to you and are like, why would you speak to me? But they have this great little thing that they say, which when you're engaging them, they say, oh, we're fine, thank you, or everything is marvelous, thank you. And when they say the word thank you, that allows you to leave the conversation. That's code for don't talk to me anymore. And I tell my staff, if you say it twice, then you're really irritating. If you say it three times, if they say it three times, they're probably never coming back. We've all been at a table of five or six people where one guest is just engaging away and somebody on the other side of the table says, we're doing great, thank you, which is your cue to leave. And you better leave because that, that's probably the person paying the bill. We're going to take a short break to hear a word from our sponsors. We know there's massive cost in retaining employees. And let me tell you, one of the most important things that you can do for your staff is to offer health insurance. Let me tell you, improved, improved employee retention Happier team members means longer tenures and less training time costs. You know, when employees take care of their health, they're less likely to take sick days. This means reduction in lost productivity and revenue for your business. Improved morales in a healthy workplace with opportunities for growth is a happy workplace. Encouraging your team's well-being results in higher morale and better work performance. That's what Southern Health Insurance is here to do. Dan Marv at Southern Health Insurance pools your company with other small companies so you can be really competitive in the market and offer your employees that benefit. You need to give him a call, 832-816-8602. He's doing amazing things. So if you don't own a business and you're just an individual listening to this and you need health insurance, he's here for you too. He applies the same model. He's here to help you get your personal health insurance set up and ready to go. That's health, vision, dental even life insurance and life insurance is so vital. You never know. You'd never want to leave your family on the hook if something bad happens to you. So Southern Health Insurance, Dan Marr, again, that's 832-816-8602. When you hear that sound, it's probably too late. You need a guy. I want to be your guy. I'm Kevin with Corson Fire and Security, and I'm a restaurant territory account manager. Do you know who's doing your inspections at your restaurant? Please reach out to me at 615-974-2932, and I'll be glad to come out and take a quick look and look at all your fire safety inspection needs. If you're building a new restaurant, we can help with that too. As far as kitchen suppression, fire extinguishers, emergency lights, we do it all. One stop, one shop. Call Kevin at 615-974-2932. Let me be your guy, Nashville. Gordon Food Service is our title sponsor, and there's so much more than that. They're friends of mine, and they do an amazing job for you out there. One of the things I talk about a lot on this podcast is core values, and they have something called cornerstone values. I'm going to tell you what they are. Customer is king. Our customers always come first. Integrity. Philosophy of sharing. Rewards for, for, for performance. Everyone is important. Networking organization, and my favorite, war room mentality. These are things I could guess just by knowing the people that work for Gordon Food Service. They actually live and believe these core values every single day. Customers King, our customers come first. They are 100% partnering with their restaurants to ensure that you are set up for success. 
you need to call Paul Hunter. Let me tell you, Paul Hunter has been in this business a really long time, and he is somebody who wants to partner with you. He wants to ensure that you are set up for success on a regular basis. I just love the guy. His number is 615-945-6753. If you give him a call today, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. X amount of them don't even want to talk to you and are like, why would you speak to me? But they have this great little thing that they say, which when you're engaging them, they say, oh, we're fine. Thank you. Or everything is marvelous. Thank you. And when they say the word thank you, that allows you to leave the conversation. That's code for don't talk to me anymore. And I tell my staff, if you say it twice, then you're really irritating. If you say it three times, if they say it three times, they're probably never coming back. We've all been at a table of five or six people where one guest is just engaging away and somebody on the other side of the table says, we're doing great, thank you, which is your cue to leave. And you better leave because that, that's probably the person paying the bill. Good point. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely cues that you can pick up on. In the book, one of the main things, if you're listening to this and you haven't read the book, he talks about personalized service. And this, I think, is a kind of a learned trait that you have to you have to figure out. They hired somebody at 11 Madison Park, and they gave him the title of Dreamweaver. So they actually hired, they have, they have a rule of 95-5. 95% of the time, we do what we do, we execute really well. 5% of the time, we create this unreasonable hospitality, this Dreamweaver. We figure out some way. And I wanted to go over a couple of just like the stories that he told in the book that I thought were really fascinating. So one was they realized that where they are, there's a bunch of parking on the streets and people would come into the restaurant and then they would leave an hour into their meal and they'd go, where are you going? I'm feeding the meter. So what they started doing was, is they started keeping a roll of quarters or I don't know how many rolls of quarters they kept, but they would ask the people when they came in, Hi, welcome to Levin Madison Park. Where did you park your car? And they go, oh, we're just around the corner. On a, are you in a metered spot? Yes, we are. What kind of car is it? What's the license plate number? And then they would go feed the meter for you while you were eating. That's amazing. Just that one little, we're going to feed the meter for you while you're eating. I thought was cents. just. And it's amazingly simple. 50 I mean, cents not forever. expensive, and it's the easiest thing to do. You do have to get the right car, you know, the color, the license to make sure you're hitting the right thing. But if you if you screw up, what are you doing? You're just paying somebody else's meter. Worse things than that. That's like passing it on in life. You're you're going to pay the the fine when they get ticketed. But the uh, the others, some of the other stories were just random experiences he had in the restaurant where there is most famous one. He did a Ted, well, did a Ted talk on this. You can go to YouTube and find his Ted talk. He was walking by a table of foodies and these foodies at the table were talking about all these amazing experiences that they had in New York. They went to per se, they went, uh, all the, they went to all the, I'm naming all the restaurants. And then they said, now we're finally at 11 Madison park. And they said, the one thing that we didn't do was get a, like a, a dirty water dog, as he calls it, a, a New York City street hot dog. And Will was bussing a table next to them and went, ooh, that's an idea. So he, with a very, he said, with a very calm, slow walk, walked into the kitchen, set the dishes down, and with a, he ran down the street to a hot dog guy and bought a New York City street hot dog and came back in the kitchen, asked the chef to cut it into four equal pieces with a little swoosh of mustard and a smear of ketchup and made it look beautiful on the plate. And he then had the servers come and they sat down in front of these people for sections of a New York City street hot dog. 
and that's that's on. where that's unreasonable but like that's one of those things i look at and i go that's where he's creeping into my brain because that's mm-hmm. the stuff that gets me going you know that's like the yes let's do that it just tickles the heck out of you You're it like, just oh that oh, was so it. much fun that was that's more fun it. than anything else i did today super small stuff we had uh they had a they had a, a family come in from south africa and the family this is my favorite story uh the family came in and these huge windows at the front of 11 madison park and it started snowing. It was snowing real heavily while they were there. And he noticed the family was enamored with the snow. So he went by and visited them. And they said this is the first time they had ever seen snow in person. So his family's sitting there watching the snow while they're eating in 11 Madison Park. And he thought, that is amazing. So this is 7 o'clock at night, I think. He said it was dark. But before, maybe it was on a Sunday. But he then sent somebody out to a local store dollar general i don't know what it was ace hardware ace hardware (laughs) and he bought four sleds and then when the people were done with their dinner he had a black car waiting with four sleds and took him to central park to go sledding it's amazing and like i know (laughs) but you hear that and you're like wow we had a party the other day at maribel and they called and they said this is a, a celebration of life for a woman who's a grandmother and uh in her and, and I'm talking to the special event coordinator and she goes, and the craziest thing they said that in the woman's will, they wanted everybody at the funeral to wear pink. Like she wanted everybody at the funeral to wear pink at her funeral. It's just one of the things that was in her will. And she goes, So they're all gonna show up wearing pink. And I was like, That's crazy. That's pretty cool. And I go, Who's on the party? She said, uh, these two servers and I so I went down and I I meant to say their names. I don't think I'm gonna say their names. I know who they are. Uh but we um Went down and I talked to them and I said, Hey, do you have a pink shirt? And they're like, Why? I go, Well, the woman that's passed away the celebration life tomorrow, everybody's wearing pink. I think it'd be pretty cool if we wore pink too. And they were like, I I don't. So then I went to Cool Springs, I went to Target and Brentwood, I went to I went to seven different stores and finally <laughs> found two shirts. Two shirts. That were, uh, I found the shirts. They were just like $150 a piece. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying that for one event. But I did find some shirts, and I brought them back, and the servers were wearing pink. That's amazing for this That's event. Awesome. And I just wanted that woman to feel that level of like, wow, they they get it, like they understand us. This is it. This is that moment. And it was the funnest thing I think I did all week long, going store to store shopping for a pink shirts. And then I finally found them in Express, and the the woman goes, "What are you buying these shirts for?" And I said, "Well," and I kind of told her, and she was like. Oh my God, like that, that's amazing. And I'm like, any, anybody that heard that could have done that exact same thing, but I, you've got to kind of train your brain to go, Oh wait, what can we do with that? That's a really cool thing. And we're in a really unique position in Maribel because we have all this information on every guest ahead of time. And they're celebrating events. Like we can do a lot of really special stuff. So we're, we're in, in a really good position there. But the other thing, um, they will never forget that. No, they won't. The other thing that they did, which I thought was amazing, was they got rid of their host stand. They had the traditional wooden stand. And the stand, you walk up and go, hello, my name is Dr. Johnson. Let me look through your reservation, Dr. Johnson. Oh, yes, I see you have two people. Oh, and it's your birthday. They have a maitre d' there who calls every single reservation and does an interview with them. Dr. Johnson, thank you for coming in this evening. Are we celebrating anything special tonight? Is it any, how many people are coming? What is this? What is this? And then they Google the person and find out what they look like. So that when you walk in the door, they go, 
Mr. Still, welcome to 11 Madison Park. Happy birthday. And you're like, what? <laughs> now, I've heard people, I've told that story, and people, that's kind of creepy. And I'm like... I, I think he says people can feel perfection, and that's what perfection feels like. That That's it. At that level, yeah. there's it's different than going into a store and having that happen. They expect it, or you could reasonably expect that to happen at a place like 11 Madison Park. So then to invent the systems of operation necessary to actually make it happen is also a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. a target that would be creepy. Yeah. Well, and also think about the 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 business that they're going to receive financially. Six hundred dollar tab. You know, how many how many times do you ever do that in life? You know, yeah, a car, your tire blows. There's two hundred bucks. Bam. But actually engage with somebody for three hours where you're going to have some beautiful dinner set the table set everything's served that type of level takes it to that's like ten thousand dollars worth of service there's extra budget in there to wiggle with you know brandon and i (laughs) ate dinner recently and not that we were trying to price each other out of entrees but he had a ordered what essentially is a four ounce filet for 120 dollars 148 that that allows you (laughs) some budget room to run with to make some other things pretty spectacular or a detail here and a detail there yeah not to be outdone by you you have to (laughs) but you do have and i got way more than four ounces so but regardless and a sauce and a sauce uh yeah table side made sauce which makes a difference Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's great. It, it also reminds me of, you know, this kind of level of service. If you've seen the documentary of Hero Dreams of Sushi and what he does when he notices the first bite, if the guy's left-handed or right-handed, is he taking the big, the entire piece of sushi or is he having to bite? So he makes every single piece of sushi to how that first bite went. And that's another level. Totally. That's like, that's what Habiger's idea was for the catbird seat. I want to be able to make food and watch people eat it and make adjustments real time. Yep. That's what the catbird seat was built on. Is that style of, he was making drinks at, um, what's the place downstairs from it? Patterson house. The Patterson house. And he was watching, he would make a drink and send it and then watch people take the garnish off or move this. And this. he's like, Oh, they don't like the garnish or they take a picture immediately when I do it like this or, the, and so he was able to, he's like, what if we did that with food? And that's how the catbird seat happened. That's amazing. He's awesome. So mom, Back to you. I love your stories. I love your stories because we all work in restaurants, but hearing things that you did on our plane, you were recognized as the top 300. Is it 300 or 30 or what is it? Top 100? Uh, for two years, I was nominated for the top 100 flight attendants. Top 100. How many flight attendants are there? Thousands. 26,000. I don't know. A lot. What? A lot. 26,000 well, flight attendants. You were nominated know. for the Could top 100 flight attendants. What? I kind of want to fly with you now. I, so I, <laughs> I want everyone to fly with me. Here's the thing. I love flying so much that if people came on and if I even heard you were scared, oh, no, not on my flight. Not one person is going to be scared on my flight. I'm going to take care of you. And I did 100% of the time. Nobody Nobody ever was scared on my flight because I know what to do. What do you do when somebody's scared? I'm just curious. How do you do it? Well, okay. It's magic. I, I can't no, tell you. If I, I told know, you, I'd have to kill you. I know how to make you not be afraid on a flight. But the thing is, the end result is, look, a squirrel. So what I would do, I mean, some people were so afraid that, like, they were throwing up. 
And in 100% of the case, I was able to help them. So usually it starts before takeoff because if you're that scared, uh, I know about it. And remember, I'm in the back, so I'm not one of the flight attendants in the, you know, greeting you or helping you put away or, you know, I'm getting the galley ready. So I would come out and I would say, hi, I'm Linda. First of all, you make a connection and you always let the person know where you are. Like I'm in the back and I'm available to you all the time. And especially with uh, like unaccompanied minors, you let them know where you are, how they, so they feel like, oh, I'm not in this big plane by <laughs> myself. Anyway, so if the, this one, I'll just say about this one particular person, she was the most scared I've ever seen, but they were going to a funeral in the United States. So this was, uh, you know, coming back like, from like, like say Ireland coming back. And, um, and so I said, hey, I said, I know you're afraid, and I'd love to talk to you about it. I said, but, I said, this is going to be a fun flight. You're going to be able to do this. I said, you're not going to be afraid on my flight, and I can promise you that. I said, however, right now, I'm the galley. I work the galley, and I need help counting my sodas before we take off. Okay, this is not true. I mean, I would just make up <laughs> anything. <laughs> I don't need to count my sodas. So anyway, I say, could you please come to the back and help me, and we can talk about it. Well, I never got around to talking about her fears because it fear that you have of like elevators or flying, it's irrational. So rationally, we cannot help you. So what I have to do is distract you. So the whole time we're boarding, oh my gosh, now I have to count my ginger ales, <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is. And on a big plane like that, I've got like a hundred of these things. Like one, shoot, I st start over. So anyway, what I did was, I mean, I would make up all kinds of stuff for people. but So then she goes, oh, but I'm afraid to take off. But I totally alleviated her fear uh, just sitting there waiting to take off. I said, oh, well, here's the thing. At 10,000 feet, you're going to hear a ding. And you do, and that's when the flight attendants are allowed to get up, but you as a passenger have to wait until, you know, the, cap, the no smoking sign goes off. So I said, at 10,000 feet, the flight attendants will get up, and at that point, I have to take account up to the pilots of how many men and how many women are sitting on the aisles. So I said, as soon as we take off, you have to start counting. But I said, don't count until we take off because people move. So, I mean, I made this sound real like, <coughs> okay. So I, would, I gave her a napkin and I wrote on it, you know, Men, women, M, W. And she just had to count like one, two, three, four, five. And then I had to come and take this up to the captain. So as soon as the flight attendants were allowed <laughs> to stand up, I came and I said, did you get it? Was it, you know, I, I talked to her. I said, is this accurate? Because this is for weights and balances. And, you know, I, I mean, the thing is, it has to be something that you have to do. It can't be like, oh, I'll just read this book on takeoff. Because your mind, if you're afraid, isn't going to, do that so it's like oh look a squirrel like do you understand what i'm saying i I'm, I'm anticipating her flight back to the to ireland where she tells the flight excuse me ma'am can i count the men and women in the aisles for you and she's like the hell are you talking about she's like and then she goes oh that woman was good that woman was good no, she, and I, she never, was awesome. I never ever told her it wasn't a thing and then if we had turbulence at all you know, I would say, oh, now it's time for me to count the seven up or <laughs> whatever it was. I, you know, count all these bags of pretzels in here or something. So when she got off, she goes, I don't believe it. This is the first time. You were right. I'm not scared. But so let me tell you about <clears throat> the most lavish thing that I did. I was on um, 
But anyway, that is how you don't be afraid. Uh, travel with somebody who can distract you. And that's the secret. There is no rational way for you to not be afraid if you are, because it's not rational. Well, because it's out of your control. I mean, this is you. You have zero control. You're sitting there, and you have to trust that other you're going to be flying in a tin can in the sky. Yes. Essentially, you have no control of what happens. So there's no rational way for you to go. It's okay. This is going right. to like you right. can't do right. that. You just have to trust or be distracted. It be distracted. <laughs> so one day I was on a. Um, I just come off of a flight, and I was going to return home to Nashville. And they didn't have a seat for me on the plane, so I had to take the jump seat, which is a little seat in the back that flight attendants are allowed to sit on because you're right by the door should there be an emergency. Anyway, I was sitting back there, and the other flight attendants were doing their job, and a girl came back to the back. Her name was Olga, and she was crying. And I said, oh, honey, what's the matter? And she says, well, I live in Chile, and I'm on my way home to Chile, and I have... sent all my bags on in Newark but at the last minute they canceled the flight and so they sent me to Newark or to Nashville and then from Nashville I'm going to Houston but I'm not going until tomorrow and I don't have anything I barely speak the language and I don't know what to do when I get there and I'm scared and one thing I do is I always tell the passenger yes always because it de-escalates so if you ask me, can I fly the plane? Oh, yes. Uh, hang on just a second. I'll be right back. But I always say yes, and then I leave and figure out what I'm going to do. So then I'll come back and say, oh, I'm sorry. We don't let passengers fly the plane on Tuesdays, and it's Tuesday. Now, what can I do for you? But because I said yes, it de-escalated the whole thing, whatever their problem was. So to this girl, I said, don't worry. I'll help you. So right away, it just de-escalates there's nothing I can do, right? So anyway, I said, um, I said, where are you sitting? We'll, we'll take care of you, and you know it's going to be okay. And so, anyway, I gave her, you know, drink of coffee or whatever, and she went back to her seat. And I thought, I can't figure out a way to get this person to Houston tonight, and it was very late. So I just, I just told her, I said, honey. <laughs> I'm going to take you home tonight. <laughs> so I took this passenger. I called my husband when we landed, and I said, yeah, it's going to be me and Olga. <laughs> From Chile. From Chile. And then we're going to, I'm going to take her back to the airport tomorrow. So I got off, and there was a long line of people because of all the cancellations at the ticket counter. And I walked up because I'm a flight attendant, and I said, here's her uh, ticket. I said, take care of her. Call me at my house. Let me know what you've done. And I am going to bring her back to the airport tomorrow. So I took her home. I gave her, you know, a pair of sweats and a T-shirt to wear. And I said, these are yours to keep. (laughs) We took her to Loveless the next morning. And then I took her back. But anyway, that's, and you know, lots of times people go, I'm there because my dad's got a problem and he's, he's in, he's in Vanderbilt Hospital. It's like, come with me. We'll get you there. We can get you there faster than a taxi. So your dad and I have taken people to St. Thomas, to Vanderbilt, but the night we brought someone home, it let her spend the night. Wow. That was my rat. Because I can't get people off of the plane and take them to Central Park for skiing or whatever. So that's your first, you can't (laughs) say. That's good stuff, Mom. That is amazing. And I think that's, you know, we sit around Thanksgiving and hear these stories about all of the things that she would do for people, your heart is is 
huge mom. I mean, how many sponsor kids do you have? Or have you had like 20 something? Yeah, I've had over 20 at one time. But that's because I could go see them. And she would go visit yeah, them. Yeah. She like doesn't just send money. She like went and visited them and met them all and like said, had relationships sure with them. I want to make sure my money's doing something. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. Anyway, that's not so crazy, mom, but that, that's, that's amazing. And you know, everybody doesn't have to fly, but everybody has to eat. And so when we go to a restaurant, you know, if you can just, it can either be transactional or it can be relationship. And it's like, if somebody just like Stephen says, smiles at you at the grocery store, it can make your day. Here's what I figured out. Flight attendants are extremely powerful. We can make or break your trip. If, if I treat you crappy and you get off the plane, and I don't care if you're just going for the night or for the week, if I've treated you crappy, you're going to say, oh, that flight attendant, you know what she did? And three days into your trip in Italy, you're going to be saying, you know what that flight attendant did? It's like, you know what? I'm going to ruin your trip, basically, because I'm hanging over your head like a cloud. But if I treat you so nice that when you leave, it's like, go fly, little bird. You, you're not going to think of me because I'm just... I, it was a great experience. I made your trip, so now you don't have to think of anything bad. Go. So when you go eat at a restaurant, it's a part of your day, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And it's like, oh, everything's going to be all right. Just because someone was kind to you at a, at a restaurant. I was really impressed by Alyssa Gangeri, who was the partner over at Buttermilk Ranch. When she was on the show, she said, we have a massive responsibility because we're oftentimes the first people that people interact with in a day. I get up in the morning and I swing by there and grab a pastry and a cup of coffee. Yes. If you live by yourself, you get up, you shower, and you go, you stop there. and you, This is the first person you've interacted with your entire day. And if you get up, what do you want? Coffee? Great. Go. That sets the tone for your day. But if we're energetic and we're excited to see you, we know your name, you may leave there with an extra pep in your step. And that makes your whole day better. To be cognizant of that, to recognize that, and then to execute that, I think is really special. Similar to what you're saying when people get off the plane in Italy, like, and that was a terrible experience. It started off bad. And then when you walk into the restaurant and the parking lot's dirty and you're like, and then it just spirals from that point forth. Every, you just start noticing every little thing. It's a similar situation. Steven, you've been awfully quiet over here because we've been talking. Well, I think. What uh, do you want to add? I, you know, I, I, I want to add a, a little story about, you know, one of the things that, that we did. And it's, it's funny watching this or reading about the hospitality thing we have two guests who come in the restaurant i've been feeding them for 30 years the fenlons and there was a time uh, maybe 25 years ago when the owner of uh, green hills grill at the time uh, decided that he wanted to stop selling budweiser because budweiser was uh, sponsored by Ludacris. and quite frankly if you were the owner of the restaurant and you want to uh, stop selling budweiser because they are sponsored because they sponsor Ludacris, that's really your business but we had this regular guest who liked budweiser that's what he always had so when, he, when I saw him pull up, I thought, oh, well, how am I going to tell him we don't have Budweiser? And well, there's a little stop and go right across the street. I just ran across there and got a king can uh, and brought it in and poured it in his wine glass like he always had it. And throughout the entire time that we didn't have Budweiser, that's what we did every time he came. And one of the crew members goes, well, isn't that illegal? And I was like, well, yeah, sure, but isn't it better to do what he wants that, I mean, it's not the end of the world to go get a Budweiser and pour it in there. We still rang it up. We're still paying the tax on it. Um, and that was, that was kind of a fun thing to do. And when I read the book, I'm like, Oh, well, that's something that we, we do that kind of stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't do that anymore. We just carry Budweiser now. 
Well, we, we, we carry some Budweiser because Budweiser is <laughs> a funny beer that some people, that's just what they want. So we always have a, uh, we always have a, a case of, or, or a diminishing case of tall boy Budweiser's in the, in the restaurant, just in case they want one. In fact, I had a guest call me yesterday. That's probably what he was telling me was that he was coming and wanted to make sure we had Budweiser <laughs> for his wife. By the way, Budweiser is right next to Newark airport uh, or a big Budweiser factory. Yeah. <laughs> Huge, but you sit all the time there. That's a great yeah. story. Justin? You know, one thing that we haven't really touched on is how this book embraces internal hospitality in each other's businesses. I think Stephen does an amazing job with his restaurant group, you know, and I think that a lot of industries, you know, when he was talking about giving the seminars and all of a sudden he looked across and looked at the manifest of what was going on and there are all of these IBM and Dell and Coca-Cola um, executives taking his hospitality class so that they can bring the culture back to their business. I think that is, that is really, really important. You know, um, the, the whole idea of listening to your bussers to improve your front door team or, um, you know, what's, what's happening in, in the dish station that can take, you know, breakage down to minimum for everybody, you know, and, and that can be absorbed into all kinds of industries. You know, my past one with distribution, um, hospitality, you know, what are my drivers and how are my drivers interacting with the delivery person at a restaurant? Because a lot of the time the drivers are interacting with somebody in the kitchen. It's not the buyer or an assistant manager. So taking, taking this hospitality and making people feel good at all levels you know, the guys in the back warehouse picking bottles and putting it into boxes for the drivers. Like, how do you take the culture of hospitality all the way through your organization from the very bottom to the very top? You, you actually keep, keep doing it and don't get when, you know, Brandon told the story about the chef slinging the whatever the pudding in the guy's face. That's not something you can ever do. I mean, that's so demeaning. Why would you ever do that? People make mistakes. You know, we have a thing uh, basically you know you're allowed to make a mistake just raise your hand and when you go to disarm a table you know kind of like you said you uh, you'd say well let me help me count this well the first thing we can really say is i'm sorry we can do better and we will some human made an error and that's why something is wrong and we're going to fix it you know the other thing i tell people which is kind of funny about the airline business you know, people get all excited and uh, you this is terrible and you've ruined my wife's mother's day or whatever else and i'm like well we can fix everything in 20 minutes and if they keep going on and on, I'm like, well, have you been to an airport lately? <laughs> what did they do there? <laughs> I mean, they stuck the poor woman from Chile overnight in somebody yes. else's house without any luggage. Yes. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> I'm going to feed you in the next 25 minutes and hopefully and probably take care of your meal. But hopefully then, you know, you'll be better and make your day. And it's just and come back. It's just not that hard to make it right and to do it. And I feel for businesses where it is that hard uh, and it would be hard, but they should care a little more. And, you know, the airline, I said, they just look at you and say, yeah, go back, sit down. It'll be three hours. Yeah. Treating your people internally is almost or probably just as important as taking care of your guests. Well, I say the guests come in the front door and the back door. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought I thought it was really interesting what you said, just to bring it back to this. So we can talk exciting, fun stories about things that we've done all day long. But actually, I thought the best part about this book was – him really talking about how he executed it, right? Because it's 
fun to talk about the yes. end result and these really neat stories, but how do you instill that culture, right? So we have core values that we live by that is a really nice foundation for everything that we do. But I really like that he talked about the one minute manager. I like oh, to talk about the one minute manager, love it. Uh, Spencer Johnson, Ken Blanchard, one of the best fundamental manager books. And I, I love the fact that he talked about clear communication. You just mentioned clear communication, that you have to communicate um, what the expectations are. And that's it. I mean, that's the thing. When you come in as a leader, um, every manager, these are a couple of quotes that he have. Um, every manager wishes his staff could read his mind. But in reality, we have to clearly communicate our expectations and um, hold people accountable immediately if we expect results. I like the example of the new manager. New managers love people to like them. They want, I want you to like me because they're making that transition from either a server into a manager and they don't want to be the manager that holds people accountable. So they go out and have drinks with the staff and then the next day, the server who was hanging out with them comes in with a dirty uniform and they're like, or an unironed uniform and they're like, eh, it's okay, it's just one day, it's not a big deal, they don't say anything and then this goes on and it goes on and then 20 days later, they're like, it's personal. You're not doing this because you hate me. And it's like, you never told them. You never, that day one, you have to say, hey man, I noticed your uniform's looking a little, little rough. Can you run upstairs and hit iron on it real quick before you hit premium? That's a real easy thing to do on a one-on-one <laughs> thing. But people are such, they're so afraid of that level of accountability and you've got to do it immediately. You can't see it, wait on it, and then three weeks down the line, say something, if it's a hot stove, you've got to do it in that moment. And the one minute manager just, it it's so fundamental and it's so easy. You got to do the one minute goal setting. You got to say exactly, these are the expectations. I love that he talks about 30 minute pre-meals every day and that that was unwavering. We're going to change side work, linen folds, whatever, because we have, that's where we build as a team. It's that clarifying, we're all on the same page. We're getting aligned. This These are the expectations for tonight. This is the expectation. Is everybody on board? We, oui, chef. Like it's that French. That we, and he yes. goes, and I could tell how good my lineup was by how they responded back with the we. Mm -hmm. In the French tradition, French chefs saying we. And he goes, it's it's amazing because he went to a barber shop. He liked to, in lineups, he liked to tell something motivational, inspirational from something that he did. And he goes, I went to a barber shop and I needed a haircut. I just I found some place in Brooklyn, had the, you know, barber sign outside the big jars of bar barbicide with the combs in it he goes and i got my haircut then after the the meal the guy said or after i got my haircut the guy says do you want bourbon gin or whiskey and he's like excuse me he goes bourbon gin or whiskey and he's like uh, bourbon so he goes you poured him a shot in this little glass like a little tiny like a little scope glass you'd see like in a restaurant bathroom you know like just like a little disposable cup gave him a shot of whiskey he was like thanks man have a good day and he goes i thought how incredibly unnecessary that was but how and he used the word whimsical he goes but how whimsical that little moment of why did you do that you didn't have to do that that's nothing to do with anything that you do here and it's almost that alchemy side of like just that what why did you do that but it's it's just a neat you take those stories that you experience every day and you share them in your lineups and you inspire people and you motivate people, but you clearly communicate to your team exactly what the expectations are. And then you hold them accountable immediately. If you're a leader, if you're a leader mm -hmm. in this type of, and that's what creates the team. That's what creates a really good cohesive unit. And it's probably the hardest thing that managers do on a daily basis because nobody wants to be the guy that 
people don't like or I think my favorite term in the entire book was it's cool to care. And I think I might make that like a mantra everywhere. Like it's cool to care. It's cool to want to be hospitable. It's cool to come in and go, what can I do to be a better servant? What can I do to be a better um, steward of our restaurant? What can I do to make every guest a repeat guest ultimately? Right. Yeah. And I just love that. It's cool to care. Like, it reminds know. me the this the conversation about expectations brings a story to my mind that I've kept through my entire career up until recently, and that is, um, you guys remember F. Scotts? Oh yeah, he was run by a guy named Jerry. He was a Z One Corporation back then. Their server lineup was right at four o'clock, so you had to be there at four o'clock. And I get there at like four o one. And all the other servers they had, it was three-man teams, so all the other servers were ready, freaking buttoned up, looked great. They didn't do their side work until after server lineup. So I walk in at 401, everybody's sitting there. Jerry turns around and looks at me. He's like, man, you look great. I mean, you, everything's pressed. You look awesome. On time is only 60 seconds. Let's try it again tomorrow. And sent me on, and I'm like, Whoa. I will never be late again. And I, I took that to my salespeople at, at Empire. I mean, it was, it's been a mantra. I tell my kids, 60, 60 seconds is all you have to be on time. That's it. You're either early or you're late, period. You know, one of the, we, you talked <coughs> about. A good story. <laughs> what managers don't like to do when the server calls out and passes their responsibility to the guest and the team on to the manager. That's the hardest job mm. managers have. I do try to, man, uh, when I have young managers, one of the things you try to teach them is that they have to be able to do a U-turn and that doesn't mean they got to waffle. That means that there are days when you're on your way home and you're like, Oh, I was going to manage Bart about this and that. And yeah, maybe tomorrow he'll just be fine. And in real life, you got to turn around, do a U-turn, go back to the restaurant, manage Bart about that. Clearly communicate what the thing is, because if you just hope he's going to do better tomorrow, then you get that uniform dilution that goes all the way down the line, and all of a sudden he's got dirty clothes on. And you're like, hey, man, wh when do we start wearing dirty clothes? Well, you you never said anything. Yeah. That's a whole thing. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like you, you praise first, and then you Redirect. Get, hey, you look great. One minute goal setting, one minute praising, one minute read. It used to be the one minute reprimand. When I first read the book, it was one minute reprimand. It's redirect. Now it's the one minute <laughs> redirect, which is Stephen. If you're watching this on YouTube, Stephen's favorite thing in management is you just, you just, you just, you just go like this, you go like this, and then and you push. You just, That's just, all just we do. This keep in here and just and then go. That's it. My brother said I was a bully, so I guess that's what I do every day. But you know. If wow. you don't, then you, you're not. It's not going to happen, right? They're going to go way over here. You remember, the, you can jump out of the system anytime. You just have to jump back in. Yes, and only for the benefit of the guest. That's it. You got to keep them in the bounds because they'll jump out and stay out there. You go, hey, come on back here. Mm -hmm. Well, as these podcasts always do, we've reached an hour. Nice <laughs> talking for Holy an hour. <laughs> How does that happen, really? right? Wow. So, Gordon Food Service, our fine title sponsor. You got them right behind me here. We got them drinking a mug that says Gordon Food Service. Those are amazing guys over there. If you need a good broadline company that cares about you, you got to call Gordon. Call Paul Hunter over there at Gordon Food Service. Again, don't have his number on me right now, but he, he's you can find him. We're going to do our Gordon Food Service final thought and rating of the book. So one to five stars, right? One through five, however you want to say it. One being I hated it. Five being I'd recommend it to every person in the world. 
Um, and then kind of your final thoughts on the book, what your any kind of final thoughts that you have. We will start with you, Stephen. Gordon Food Service, final thought. Well, I love this book. I, you know, to me, is a nine out of ten or ten out of ten. I, I, I think it's interesting to read things, and obviously in business, you read enough business books, but this one is tailored not to be perfect. Really, he's talking about that five or ten percent, the ninety-five five, and unless you incorporate the ninety-five five, which is where all the fun can be, it's you, know, you might not, it might not happen for you. Good stuff, Mom. I liked it. I thought it was fun to see how other people loved on other people. And I think the big um, takeaway was whatever time we have together, it was not just transactional. Obviously, it has to be transactional because I'm providing a service, which is why you are here, why we're interacting. Sure. But the time we did have together was relational. I, I cared about you. I love that. What would you rate the book? One to five. Oh, five. Okay. I, yeah, I liked it a lot. Five stars. Mm -hmm. Justin. Likewise, I would have to give it a five. I've already recommended it to a dozen people, at <laughs> least, you know, at all in all industries. And pretty much my takeaway is this is about, this is a book on how you make people feel. Outside of service, outside of a job, make people feel awesome and everything else will line up. I love it. I, I give it, yeah, I, if I could give it, a million stars I would I read this book and I was instantly addicted to it I felt like I felt seen I felt like somebody's in my brain and he was able to articulate what my thoughts are on a regular basis and it also helped me put a you know kind of a roadmap for what we need to be doing and it reinforced that I'm not crazy <laughs> uh, again some of these books I read I'm like oh my gosh I'm not crazy I had these thoughts too this is really good so I assimilate a lot with it it was a fun read. It was a fun read, and it was, I use the word whimsical because I just enjoyed hearing the stories. Uh, me and Steven went on a, we had a trip two weeks ago, and we watched, there's a show called Seven Days Out on Netflix, and there's an episode on 11 Madison Park where they closed the restaurant and remodeled it to their specifications from Danny Meyer, and it's seven days away from opening all the things that they have to do to open 11 Madison Park. We watched it that night, and it was funny because we can watch a million things. TV. Steven and I sitting in a room watching this was was about as good a TV as you can watch. I mean, I love. I just I'm fascinated by this stuff. I love this stuff. I love this industry. I love hospitality, and this book really nailed it. I mean, just nailed it in every way. So, thank you guys for reading it. If you'd like to know what next month's book is. I'm going to announce it right now. Oh, God. Here, let me write this down. <laughs> you want to write this down? Because this one is a game changer. And I, I, I have read this book, and I want to read it again. And I want everybody out there to read it because I want to talk about it. Because this book, I think Stephen's going to agree with me on this one. It's called Alchemy by a guy named Rory Sutherland. It's not a new book. But this is a, he's a, a British guy who is a marketing guru. And this book is about the dark art of marketing. So if you're a restaurant, if you're in any business, Roy Sutherland's Alchemy, takes on this? Uh, well, no, I think it was great. I mean, his little bit, you know, kind of the example of Red Bull, how do you take something that really tastes terrible, comes in a smaller portion, and costs than three every times other as much. soda, and then charge two or three times as much, and then make a... a, a 
making an iconic product in the world, nobody would have thought that would work. No, no big giant company would say, yeah, let's do that because that's going to work. <laughs> you had to be a small company to make it happen. Two quotes out of that book. I will, I will tease you guys with one is he says, doing the logical thing will get you the exact same place as your competition. There you go. Thought number one. And thought number two is, why do you brush your teeth? Why do you why do you brush teeth? He goes, 90% of people will tell you because it's healthy, because that's what you need to do for good oral health. Yet 95% of people brush their teeth because they want their teeth to look good. It's not because of health, because they want their teeth to look good. He goes, so think about that. He goes, Aquafresh did nothing different, but they put stripes in there it's the same thing they just didn't blend it he goes but they've they sold billions of dollars in toothpaste because you could see the different things like certs with retsin like what the hell is retsin who knows we think it's good (laughs) we buy it because it has retsin does anybody identify what retsin is so there's a ton of really good marketing this my brother turned me on to this book maybe i can get i'll get justin so i can have my sister my brother and my mom, then the next one we'll get dad on and we'll have a whole the whole family on uh, the Brandon's Book Club. Thank you, everybody out there for joining. Thank you, everybody in here for joining. We hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. And um, stay tuned this Friday for our last episode of the Boys of the Bird podcast, Hard to Heart with Mikey Corona and Brian Riggenbach of The Mockingbird. Talk to you guys later. <laughs>